everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Christmas. During this Advent season, our focus is on worship. The series title is Come, Let Us Adore Him. Maybe some of you know that Christmas carol. And we've been working through the four H's of worship as it relates to some of our vineyard values. Hunger, humility, which is today, humanness, and home. Yes, last week we talked about hunger and throughout the daily reflections that were sent to your text message thread if you are subscribed. Uh, We talked about hunger, and maybe just to sum it up, hunger is the soil that intimate worship grows out of. Spiritual hunger is the soil out of which intimate worship grows out of, and that's always been part of what it means to worship in the vineyard. We want it to be intimate. We believe that God comes close and that he is the object of our deepest love. Uh, Related to spiritual hunger is spiritual apathy, But of course, apathy isn't just a problem when it comes to our spirituality. I actually think apathy probably sneaks in to our spirituality from uh, just the the general apathy that's in our world and in our life. And I've been reading a book called Overcoming Apathy, and in it, the author suggests that apathy is not that we don't care about things, it's that our cares have gone adrift. Or in other words, we care about things that are trivial things that aren't really important, instead of things that are really important, like our relationship with God or our deepest friendships. We get distracted, and so we care about things that aren't meaningful, and so it's not surprising then that we don't have a sense of meaning in our life. So if hunger is an expression of the gut, then humility, what we're talking about this week, is an expression of the heart. And humility as I will define it today, is self-forgetfulness rooted in selflessness. Now, as it relates to worship, this is a tough sell because we are generally self-centered and consumeristic. As it relates to worship, humility is a tough sell because we live in a world where almost everywhere we go, we're being sold something. We're being asked to buy something. We're being fed uh, the narrative of entitlement. And so we become self-centered, entitled consumers. And so to say, in worship, it's not actually about me. I want to forget myself and put my heart's attention on God, in service of God, for a love of God. It's selfless. That's a tough sell. If you guys have your Bibles, I would love you to open up to Matthew chapter 2. This is one of the famous stories that we read at Christmas regarding uh, Jesus' birth. And in it, we'll look at the Uh, The wise men, or the magi, probably better translated. The magi are not just smart guys who come from far away, okay? These are most likely astrologers or magicians. These are included in a letter written by Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, to Jewish people. 
So for Jewish people to read that pagan astrologers or magicians have found Jesus when the entire city or nation of of Jerusalem and Judea have missed it is a scandal. So don't, as we read it, fall into the habit of, oh, this is a nice Christmas story. Hear it as if Jesus came to Washington, D.C., and the church missed it. The Magi show up to the White House and say, where's the next great king? And the White House says, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. You find him, we'll take care of him. Okay? So if you're open to Matthew uh, chapter 2, pay attention to the Magi in particular and their humility. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the reign of King Herod. He was a nasty guy. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? He saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leader, leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time where the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him, not to. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Now, would you guys stand? We stand as we read scripture because we trust the Bible, and we want to honor the one who is revealing himself to us. And I want you to pay attention to this powerful demonstration of worship. When they saw the star... They were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would turn us into humble worshipers with you at the center. The object of our love, the object of our hunger with our humanity that we might make a home in you. Be our teacher today, Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So what makes the wise men humble? Well, they were men who got lost and asked for directions. Am I wrong? <laughs> no. Well, we'll get into this. Remember that humility is self-forgetfulness rooted in selflessness. 
And humility, at least among the early church, maybe less so today, was one of the great virtues. Andrew Murray, who lived about 200 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, said this. Reckon humility to be the mother virtue, your very first duty before God, the one perpetual safeguard of the soul, and set your heart upon it as the source of all blessing. The promise is divine and sure. He that humbles himself shall be exalted. Going even farther back, St. Augustine, we're talking fourth century here, says this, If you ask me what is the most essential element of the teaching and morality of Jesus Christ, I would answer you. The first is humility. The second is humility. And the third is humility. Why would he say that? It's because the root of most, if not all, of our sin is human pride. It is because we are self-centered entitled, and at least today, consumers at our core. Um, Augustine used this picture to describe what is wrong with humanity in a Latin phrase, incurvatus in se. You know what that means? Latin people? It's not that, it's not that hard. Curved in on the self, and this is fundamentally what sin is this is fundamentally self-centered pride it's all about me and so humility is self-forgetfulness rooted in selflessness you might be thinking what about love shouldn't love be the greatest virtue well i would say that without true humility there cannot be true love. Because you can show an act of love, but it can still be for you. So don't think that humility is codependence, right? Because in codependence, we do all the things for everybody but ourselves, except for it's really for us so that they don't leave us and so that they like us and so that I can find my self-worth. Pride is a sneaky vice. There are a few other misconceptions about what humility is, and I want to talk about those before driving this back into the idea of what humble worship looks like. The first misconception is that humility is hiding. And so it's the idea of you might actually be talented or good at something, but you're not going to tell anybody, even if there's a need. So maybe, maybe you're really good at the drums, <clears throat> but you haven't told anyone. You're waiting to be asked. You're waiting for someone else to tell uh, Allison or one of the worship leaders that you're actually a pretty good uh, musician. That's not humility. That's uh, something else. But it, it could apply to all sorts of things, right? If you're waiting to be asked and you're calling it humility, just know that it's not. If you can uh, participate or serve or help build or help love, uh, children at work, you know, in the, in the church, at work, in, in mentoring relationships, what, whatever it is, but you're just waiting to be asked, don't confuse that with humility. Another misconception about humility is that uh, humility is self-hatred. No, 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 no. So if you're full of self-deprecating comments or self-criticism, don't think that that's humility. You know the command of Jesus. Love others as you 
love yourself. You think about if the, uh, if the wise men were uh, self-haters, they'd be like, here's my treasure, Jesus. I got it on sale. It was really, I mean, the frankincense you wouldn't believe. It's like 40% off, Black Friday deal. Humility is not self-hatred or self-deprecation. Humiliation is something different. So humiliation is something that is done to us that right, can lead to deep-rooted shame. But humility is a choice that is designed to serve others, to put God and others at the center, to take ourselves out of the center, to turn away from ourselves and bend toward loving God and loving others. That's why we're here, isn't it? We're here because we love God and we love others, not because we're looking for like a, a nice fuzzy feeling or inspiration or information for that matter. The third misconception, well, yeah, the third misconception, let's just go there. We got to keep moving. Uh, is that humility is weakness. So uh, think of this in terms of Brene Brown's term, like the idea of vulnerability being weakness, of like admitting that I am weak is often viewed as uh, like the cardinal sin, not something you hear presidents do very often, apologize because it's admitting that you made a mistake. I mean, honestly, it's not something that humans are very good at in general, admitting that I was wrong, admitting that I was weak. But what you find is that in asking for help, you actually have an inner strength that the prideful do not have. And so imagine the wise men. They follow the star, and I don't know exactly when they show up, somewhere between Jesus' birth and two years. Maybe they find the reference to the king that would be born in Bethlehem or Judea, at least, uh, because of the, uh, the Babylonian exile of the Jews, where Daniel becomes a prominent member and brings like the Hebrew scriptures, it's possible. But they show up to the place that you would expect a king to be born, to the palace. And King Herod has a reputation, like he's rebuilt the temple, he's remodeled the temple. Uh, like he's one of these great kings, perhaps he has a great son. But they go to the temple and Herod doesn't know what the, uh, the magi are talking about. And so you might think that Herod being such a good, you know, king that would rebuild the temple would know his scriptures, but he doesn't. So he has to ask, you know, the local clergy. And the clergy says, oh, it's in Bethlehem. And so the wise men leave the temple. They leave the great city of Jerusalem, or at least the greatest city in Judea. They walk five or six miles down the road to this dinky little town. And they walk up to this dinky little house. And if they had an ounce of pride in them, they would have turned away. Because these are, these are presumably rich magi. They have treasures that they have brought from far off. And even the journey wouldn't have been cheap. It would have taken a few months to walk from present-day Iraq or Iran. But they humble themselves. They open the door. And have you seen a one-year-old lately? Not a one-year-old dressed in vestments 
sitting in a golden crib. But this is the one-year-old, let's say, of a poor carpenter's family, working class. And if they had an ounce of pride in them, they would have run back to Herod where they could have gotten something for the information. But for them, the center, the joy, was in finding the newborn king, not in what they would be getting out of it. And so they lay down their treasures. They bow down to this infant Jesus who couldn't have been more humble And they worship him. Humility is self-forgetfulness that leads to joy. And if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for fulfillment, if that is the main goal of your worship, you will not find it. So again, there's an amazing thing that happens when you can put your full attention on God or what God has you doing, has for you in a space like this or perhaps in a space like a normal Monday morning. But if you're looking for joy, you'll never find it. If you're looking for happiness, if your main goal in life is happiness, you will not find it. But if your main goal in life is to love God and to love others, Happiness will find you, even if it's not uh, the most rosy or easy of external circumstances. It's a little bit counterintuitive that way. Humility is self-forgetfulness that leads to joy. And uh, I want to, I mean, I, I feel like the best sermons always reference the Lord of the Rings. And I, uh, <laughs> one of my good friends just started reading The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. It's one of my favorite things about life right now. But at the end of The Hobbit, Bilbo has finished this great journey uh, with many dangers. And he's sitting down with Gandalf. And he says this, or Gandalf says, you don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck? Just for your sole benefit, you are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I am very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fellow in the wide world after all. And what Bilbo says is really incredible. So all this amazing stuff has happened. The things prophecies have been written about. You've gone through tunnels and faced dragons. Sorry not to spoil it. And Gandalf says, you don't think that was all about you, do you? And Bilbo says, oh, thank goodness. And he handed him a tobacco jar. There's actually a real freedom in realizing that you are not the center of the universe. Tim Keller puts it this way. There's nothing more relaxing than humility because... You guys know this, don't you? Have you found this to be true? Pride grumbles at everything, but humility can joyfully receive life as a gift. Or in the words of C.S. Lewis, if you've met a humble person, you might think that they would seem cheerful and an intelligent chap who took real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy his life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. In fact, he will not be thinking about himself at all. Uh, Rick Warren puts this in a little bit shorter phrase. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. 
Humility is self-forgetfulness. Humility in worship is not making yourself the center of the experience, but God the center of the experience. And I want to share a quick video from uh, one of the, well, the first the founder, not of the first Vineyard Church, but of the Vineyard Movement as we know it, the, uh, the guy many of you have heard of, John Wimber, as he talks about worship for just a few minutes. So could we play the video, please? Thank you. Years, I, having been a pastor quite a few years, I've heard numerous times, oh, I didn't get anything out of worship. <laughs> and, I, and I gently explain to them, you're not supposed to get anything out of worship, you're supposed to give something out of worship. It's not for you, it's him. <laughs> years and years ago, I was at uh, one of my friend, children's friend's birthday party. She was only six, if I remember right. And we went, and her older sister, who was eight, was angry. Because everything, all the birthday stuff said the other girl's name, and all the birthday stuff was for her. It had pictures of her all over the house and all over the patio area. And there was a big prize and gift for her, and there was a cake for her. And the mother had, at one point, the older sister was stamping her foot and in, just with indignant rage, you know. And her mother had to pull her aside, and I still remember her gently but firmly saying, it's not about you. It's about your sister. It's your sister's birthday, not your birthday. I've never forgotten that. Now, I don't mean to do that to you, but I want you to know it's not about you. It's about him. It's about you growing closer to him. It's about you being prepared by the blood of Jesus, through the forgiveness of God, by the drawing of God, to, to worship him. So worship isn't for you, it's for him. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's for him. <laughs> now, if you got that, you got the price of admission right there. Because that's what it's all about. Now, I love it. I like what happens. I like the dynamic of it, the vibes and all. I mean, I love it. And uh, it, it's a, a major, major part of my life. But the center of it is, does it please you, Lord? Does it please you? Does our collecting together and worshiping, congregating together and worshiping please you? Is it blessing you, Lord? Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. A good worship service then has both the dynamic of being graded and received in heaven as well as what happens here. We might walk away and say, well, that was a good one, but the Lord's going. <laughs> you know, you're drawing near to me with your mouth, but your hearts are far from me. That was how, what happened in the Gospels, remember? And so it's very important for us to understand that worship, beginning and end, is for God. And that this is preparation for that that is to come. So do you remember that little picture with the self in the middle and all the arrows pointed at it, the incurvatus in se, life turned in on itself? The reason John talks about how we might walk away from worship service thinking, wow, that was amazing because, man, I felt it. I mean, I got goosebumps and everybody was singing real loud. But, but in that case, you've made it about your, your experience. <laughs> and I think, on, like, contrarily, like, you might walk away thinking, I, man, worship is really hard. I really had to, I had to work at it. 
I mean, I, I, I just wasn't feeling worship today. And God says, yes. You were working to put your attention on the place it belongs. And actually, he, uh, he does this sometimes in our spiritual lives too, right? So there's a thing called the dark night of the soul. And it, there's, we're actually designed to enjoy God. But if, we, if, if it was so good all the time and it was just such a, you know, we got the butterflies, we might like the feeling of the presence of God more than the presence of God. It's sort of like, you know, some of us when we're younger, we fall in love. And we think we love the person, but we really love the feeling. Does that ever happen to anybody? It happened to me one time. It kind of messed me up for a while. But to paint a different picture, one that's different from in curvatus in se, uh, there's, a, there's another, I mean, I remember singing this Christmas carol in church when I was a kid, Gloria in excelsis Deo. You know what that means? Glory to God in the highest. It's a, it's, it's a move of humility. It's forgetting yourself and putting your attention on God. Now again, self, uh, one of the misconceptions might be that humility is weakness, but it's actually it's not weakness if you're worshiping and you, and you shed a tear or if you, if you fall to your knees or if you raise your hands. And if your attention is on God... And it can be hard. Like, it's really easy to be wondering, what are people thinking of me? And, you know, if you're from Dutch background, man, a tear is like really, I mean, that's a scary thing. <laughs> running down your cheek. I mean, we're like the Northern Europeans are just a little, you know, more. <laughs> Not like the Italians. Am I, am I right? Um, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest, at the depth of my heart. Glory, God at the center. This is why we worship. Not for what I get out of it, but what I give to him. And that might, that might apply to the way that we give our offerings, give to him. It might be the way that we engage in ministry time. Like, sometimes... We have to remember it's not about us. Sometimes we don't get to receive during ministry time. Sometimes we will because that's what God is doing. But sometimes it's about what we give. It's about being willing to make yourself look a fool to walk over and say, hey, can I pray for you? And I just felt like God gave me a picture of an alligator in a bathtub. Is that, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's happened before. And it happened to be right on. <laughs> I'm serious. But that kind of prophetic word only comes if you're, you have a humble heart, if you're not at the center, if you're not worried about what people are thinking. That's why, I mean, humility is actually strength. So let's read Matthew 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 10 again. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Imagine this scene. They walk up to this little house. They enter the house. And they see this little child with his mother, Mary. Like that's, I mean, this may be what Jesus is able to say at this point. The word of God is babbling, okay? 
and they bowed down. They bent toward him and they worshiped him and they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What does that look like for us? What does it mean to get back to the heart of worship? What it means to come, let us adore him. And one of my favorite biblical scholars, and T. Wright, I'll just let him sort of land the plane here. He says, worship is humble and glad. Worship forgets itself in remembering God. Worship celebrates the truth as God's truth, not its own. True worship doesn't put on a show or make a fuss. True worship isn't forced. It isn't half-hearted. It doesn't keep looking at its watch. It doesn't worry what the person in the next pew, I mean, we don't have those here, but chair may be doing. True worship is open. The wise men had to be open to whatever they might find at the end of that star. True worship is open to God, adoring God, waiting for God, trusting God, even in the dark. Worship is nothing more than love on its knees. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.